Well, good morning, Trinity. Uh, I hope you're doing okay this morning. For those of you that have had half term this week, um, I hope it's been a good week in some way and gold medal to all you amazing parents that have had small kids at home and uh, not had masses of opportunity to get out or to go to the kind of places and do the kind of things that you normally would. Fair play to the Stott household for uh, developing a new skill. Perhaps we should set that as a new Trinity challenge. So uh, as Nick's mentioned this morning, we're returning to our series on Exodus. We had a short break from it last week uh, when Emma Worrell was with us uh, looking uh, from Open Doors, a, a great friend of this family. She, what she shared was fantastic. If you haven't caught up with it, I encourage you uh, to do that. But this morning we're going back into Exodus uh, and looking at the second half of, uh, beginning our journey through the second half of the book. Uh, and I've, I want to talk this morning about finding our way through the wilderness, finding a way through the wilderness. I don't know what you uh, think about when you hear the word wilderness, what kind of comes to mind. Maybe it's a word that sort of resonates with you um, at the moment in this kind of particular season that you find yourself in. Maybe it's um, Maybe you haven't named it as something like that. Maybe you haven't kind of said to yourself, I'm in the wilderness, but it kind of conjures up some kind of connotations that would describe your experience of life, your walk with God at the moment. Maybe it feels like for you there's not much color around in your life. Things seem pretty dry. Your walk with God feels a bit dry. Maybe your spiritual practices, you're still doing them. You're reading the Bible and you're praying and you're logging on and you're joining us online and yet there's this sense of a kind of absence of the felt presence or the nearness of God rather than uh, the, a sense of the real presence of God with you. Maybe, um, you know, it just feels like life is, is a bit bleak for you or your experience is a bit bleak, that life in all its fullness, that phrase feels maybe a bit like a distant dream, a kind of an unfulfilled hope for you. Perhaps dry is the word that you might use to describe where you're at right now. Maybe you identify with feelings of emptiness or weariness or a kind of listlessness, just a kind of low-grade energy for life. And the stuff that you used to do or used to bring you joy and pleasure in life, it kind of doesn't quite do that for you at the moment in the same way that it did. Uh, I don't know who's seen Groundhog Day. I love that film. It really makes me laugh. If you want a, you know, a film to make you laugh uh, as opposed to a box set, uh, check out Groundhog Day, but maybe it maybe your life feels a bit like Groundhog Day at the moment, just this relentless, repetitive experience of life with very little uh, that kind of brings you alive in it. And most likely, if that is you, you are wrestling with questions and doubts, things like, you know, God, where are you? God, have you forgotten me? God, how long is this season going to go on for? God, is there something wrong with me? Have I got something really wrong? You know, what are you doing? Why haven't you kind of sent out the rescue team? Those are often questions that accompany a wilderness experience. Jennifer Reese Larkham uh, is a Christian with uh, a, a healing and writing ministry uh, at that has, has gone over many years. She was uh, in a wheelchair for eight years of her life and then was miraculously healed, but went on to experience some really challenging times, even beyond that with the Lord. And she said to me, at what, uh, she said to the Lord at one point, I thought you'd healed me. I didn't know anything could be as ghastly as this. I'm lost in the wilderness. Where are you? You know, that question, where are you, God? 
is often a question that we ask when we're going through a tough, dry season. And actually, maybe if you're in that place, you're even wondering, is my faith meaningless? You know, where is my faith? What is my faith if it, if it isn't making a difference in this season? But maybe it's not you. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're thinking, gosh, I don't relate to this at all. Well, that's a great thing. But let me tell you, there will be people around you because there are always people going through a wilderness season at any one point in time. There will be people around you, if it's not you, who are in a kind of spiritual wilderness at the moment. And they need your encouragement. They need your compassion. They need you to understand about the dynamics of a wilderness season so that you can help them and strengthen them and walk alongside them and love them. Because the wilderness is a landscape that God takes every believer through at some point in their journey with him, and sometimes more than once. And this passage that we're going to look at today reminds us of that, that God takes his followers through the wilderness. It's not a place that any of us can avoid at, uh, at some point in our lives. Sometimes we end up there through choices we make. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before God called him uh, in Exodus 3. God found him in the wilderness. Well, he was there because of choices he'd made. And actually, the wilderness ended up being part of the consequence of those choices. Sometimes we end up going through a wilderness season because of the experience um, uh, and the choices that other people have made. And we kind of end up being victims of those choices or victims of circumstances that we had no control over. And yet they lead us into a wilderness experience or a wilderness season. And sometimes we end up in the wilderness purely and simply because God has led us there. You know, God led Jesus into the wilderness. He came up out of the water and God led him into the wilderness. The Israelites, he took them through the Red Sea and led them into the wilderness. It's the Spirit who leads us into the wilderness because he has purposes for there. And so it's not a place that we can avoid uh, as we journey through life with him. So just a quick recap before we turn to today's passage. A couple of weeks ago, we were in Exodus 15 and God had performed possibly the most incredible, amazing miracle in the whole of the Old Testament, where he split the sea, he parted the waters, he divided the ocean so that a million people could walk across on dry land between these walls of water to get to safety. The most incredible miracle that he encouraged his people to remember forevermore. And then as they looked back, as they walked through the waters, as his people had got to uh, land on the other side, they looked back and they watched the water crashing over their Egyptian oppressors who were pursuing them and coming after them. It was probably like, you know, I should imagine there was an amazing heavenly soundtrack going on. The adrenaline would have been rushing as they watched these oppressors come across the, the, the dry land through the sea to come and recapture them. And God allowed the water to wash over them and destroy them. The most incredible miracle of deliverance. And when we left uh, these Israelites, the Israelites, a couple of weeks ago in Exodus 15, they were singing. They were singing this incredible song of rejoicing. They were declaring their love for God, their amazement at his power, their gratitude for what he'd done. They were singing from the bottom of their hearts in loud voices for his spectacular deliverance of them. And yet today, only half a chapter later, half a chapter later, we find them going into the wilderness and the tone changes and the scenery changes and their experience changes uh, as they move on into the desert because that's where God took them next, out of the water, into the wilderness. 
And he didn't take them there to punish them. That wasn't the point of going there. It wasn't about punishment. He didn't suddenly become angry with them. There's a, a South African writer called Janine Johnson, and she says that most believers actually think that God is angry with them when they're in the wilderness. If you're in a wilderness season right now, maybe, maybe that's a question you're asking yourself, or you've asked yourself, is God angry with me? Have I done something to make him upset? And she says that most believers believe that God is angry with them when they're in the wilderness because their pain or their discomfort is so great. But that is not so. And friends, believing that God is for us and that God is good, despite what our circumstances might be screaming at us, it's the foundation of a deeper, lasting, more resilient faith. It's one of the things God looks to grow in the wilderness. So God hadn't changed his mind about them. He wasn't angry about them. He wasn't about to change his mind about what he'd planned for them and decided he didn't decide I'm going to call off my plans to take them to the promised land. No, not interested in that anymore. I'm going to fool them. I'm going to trick them. God isn't like that. He took them into the, into the wilderness for a specific reason. And the Bible tells us it was to test them. The wilderness is a place of testing. It's where we get tested. Most people uh, go through all kinds of different challenging seasons in life, whoever they are. But in the hands of God, a challenging season becomes a testing place for a follower of Jesus, for a follower of God. The wilderness is where God tests us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like tests. Life is full of tests, but I don't particularly like tests. They're a fact of life. I became um, a chartered accountant after I left university. So from when I uh, joined school, when I began school and went up through my school years, and then I went on to uni, and then I did uh, chartered accountancy for five years, I had, I think I probably sat a test every year of my life for nearly 20 years. I hate tests, but tests are part of life, aren't they? And it was probably quite a number of years after I'd qualified as a chartered accountant and stopped taking annual tests that I stopped having a recurring nightmare that was that I turned up at a desk in a test and I didn't know the test was coming and I hadn't prepared for it and I couldn't do it. Literally, it was a recurring nightmare for years. And whether it's school tests or driving tests or uni tests or medical tests, and you know now we have COVID tests everywhere, don't we? Life is just full of tests. And it is true also for followers of Jesus. We don't get a kind of an exemption certificate once we start following him. God tests our faith in the same way that we are tested in all kinds of other ways in life. Except that when the Bible talks about testing, and we're going, to, we're going to open the passage in just a second. When the Bible talks about testing, it's not looking at a kind of pass or fail outcome. God's never looking for a kind of you passed or you failed. It's never that simple. It's more like the kind of testing that Jeremy Clarkson does to a car, uh, you know, in some kind of crazy, on some crazy racetrack where he puts it under the most incredible pressure. We've been watching some of the Grand Tours uh, as this lockdown, one of our many different uh, diversions. But he puts those cars, doesn't he, under incredible pressure to see what they're made of, to see what they can do, to see how they'll perform under extreme kind of conditions, to see where he or his mates might make some modifications. That's the kind of testing that God puts us under. So as we read the passage, we're going to read the passage uh, and make this kind of, make this sort of subject legitimate by opening the Bible. Remember this. This is, God, this is Moses' summary, Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. 
looking back on the testing season in the wilderness. He says this, remember every word, every road that God led you on for those 40 years in the wilderness, pushing you to your limits, testing you so that he would know what you were made of. There it is again. He would know what you were made of. The NIV says so that he would know what was in your hearts, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That's Moses' summary of their time in the wilderness. It was to test you. It was for God to see what was in you, what was in your heart, what kind of faith you had, how you were going to respond, whether you were going to obey him. So hold on to that summary as we read five verses from Exodus 15. If you've got a Bible, uh, if you've got a book, if you've got a phone, uh, switch it on. Uh, Exodus 15 verses 22 to 26. So... They're out of the Red Sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled, take note of that word, against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Then the Lord issued a ruling, and instruction for them, and put them to the test. He put them to the test and said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. You know, in other words, God was saying, if you pay attention to my commands and you keep my decrees in the wilderness, I will bless you. And then in chapter 16, we haven't got time to uh, read it, but hold, keep it open because I'm going to dive into the odd place in, in chapter 16. We hear the, the Israelites grumbling because they've got no food and they're hungry. And so God hears their grumbling and he sends manna out of heaven for them. But he says, I'm only going to send it to you on a daily basis. So just pick up what you need. Don't keep it overnight. Uh, and they disobey him, and they keep it overnight, and it goes moldy. And then they start moaning because they don't like the manna anymore, and they get bored of it, and then they want quail. They want a meat to eat. And so God hears their grumbling, and he gives them meat to eat. And then he tells them, again, the same thing. Don't pick up more than, they, more than you need. And some of them do, and it goes moldy, and it goes off. And he tests them. He tests them in all kinds of different ways. Now, we know that the Israelites were there for 40 years, longer than God had intended them to be there. He'd planned for them to be there for a while, but he didn't plan for them to be there for 40 years. But he wanted them there for long enough. Long enough, as I've said, to test them. Long enough for it to seem like that experience could go on forever. Long enough for them to get beyond their initial coping mechanisms and their initial assumptions. Long enough for them to come to terms with the fact that they weren't able to control their circumstances or control God. Long enough for him to see and for them to see what their faith in him was really like. Long enough to see whether they would obey him under extreme pressure. And he does the same with us. Friends, we've been singing about God's promises. We've been declaring that he's faithful. We've been, you know, singing to him that we believe his promises. And yet we find out how true that is in the wilderness. That's where we get tested. That's where those declarations get tested. That's where our, our men to God's promises gets tested. They'd seen this incredible miracle, hadn't they? 
They'd seen the sea split. We kind of think that miracles are going to grow our faith, and in some ways they do. They make declarations about the nature and the power and the heart of God. But actually, whether we will still believe that and still hold on to that and still push into that when those things aren't happening, that faith gets tested in the wilderness. Look at the kind of things that happen in this passage in a wilderness season. We discover how much our desire is for God and what he can do for us or whether our desire is actually for God himself when he's not doing what he wants him to do. I, I, I highlighted the word grumbling. The Israelites started grumbling three days in, three days after that incredible miracle, and they're grumbling because they haven't got water to drink. You know, God said, Exodus uh, 7, 16, I'm going to take my people into the wilderness so that they can worship me. That's why he took them there so that they could worship him, they could love him, they could push into him and trust him when the chips were down. And three days in, they're grumbling because he wasn't doing what they wanted. Friends, the wilderness exposes, do we want God for what he can do for us or do we want God for who he is? Secondly, they discovered, and we discover in the wilderness, what our hearts have become attached to. The Israelites were basically going through a bit of a detox in the wilderness. They were separated from what they'd known. They were separated from the predictability. You know, they start moaning in chapter 16. Ah, we wish we were back in in Egypt. We had food to eat. Our bellies were full. We had loads of this amazing stuff that was put on our plates every day. They'd become attached to the predictability and the certainty of provision. So they didn't have to trust for it. And in the wilderness, God exposed. They'd been crying out to him for deliverance. They didn't like their slavery. They'd been calling out for freedom. And yet in the wilderness, what they began to see was what they'd become attached to, what they needed, as it were, to feel happy, to feel safe, to feel secure. And God does that to us in the wilderness. He exposes our attachments. He removes for a season the things that, you know, we've relied upon, maybe without realizing it, the things that we've relied upon to feel safe and to feel secure, the people, the setups, the experiences, the resources that we have somehow become dependent upon for life to work and for us to feel confident in him. And God's freeing them from their dependency. That's his intention. Freeing them from their dependency on those things so that they can become more dependent on him. And in the wilderness, we discover what we believe about Jesus. Like I said, we discover how confident we are that his promises are yes and am, yes and amen. We discover how much we trust him, how much we, we trust his heart for us when we're faced with uncertainty, which is what a wilderness season is full of, you know, most notably when it's going to end. You know, it's when we're faced with uncertainty, when we're faced with challenges, when we're faced with problems, when we're faced with our inability to control things, we discover, well, do we really trust him or not? Chapter, get, chapter 16 again, verse 3, they're saying, we're going to die. You've brought us out here to die. So they've watched him save them through the Red Sea. They've watched him destroy their oppressors who were coming after them. They've watched him save them. And then three days of trouble and a few more days of trouble And up from their hearts comes this assumption that is deeply rooted in there, that God's not for us, that God's actually brought us out here to die, that he's not on our side, 
that he's not good all the time, that he's not unchanging. That's what the gathering too much manna was about, chapter 16 again. You know, that's kind of their equivalent of panic buying, isn't it? Don't know if there's going to be any food tomorrow, so I'm going to fill up my trolley today. Don't know if God's going to be good tomorrow, so I've got to make the most of what there is today. How could they think that after all he'd done? Except they did, and except we do. But we only get to find out how much we think that, or if we think that, when we're in the wilderness. Now, we need to be honest about a wilderness experience, friends. And I need to to remind you, I need to remind myself, I need to remind you that there is real risk in the wilderness. Hebrews 3 and 4 talks a lot about, do not harden your hearts today like the the Hebrews did when they were in the wilderness. There's a real risk in the wilderness of our hearts becoming hard because of the testing nature of an experience like this. That's why if you've got friends who are going through a wilderness experience at the moment, they need you. They need your encouragement. They need your compassion. They need your understanding. They need you to come alongside them because there is a risk in the wilderness. And most of the Israelites didn't leave the wilderness because they let their hearts become hard. They actually let unbelief take over. They went with what they felt. They went with what was within them rather than learning to trust God in the midst of that place. And some believers drift away from God Some believers lose their faith in a wilderness time. We need to be honest about that. But the Bible also tells us that there's incredible rewards from the wilderness, that those who overcome, and he's designed us, he's created us to overcome, he's given us his spirit so that we can overcome experiences like this. The reward from the wilderness is a greater intimacy with him, a deeper trust in him, and a promised land on the other side. That's where these guys were going. That's where God was taking them through this experience to get to the other side. So let's just look at a couple of faith choices that this passage kind of recommends by implication, that this passage recommends to help us position ourselves as we walk through a wilderness, for those of us that are in one, or if you're walking alongside somebody that's within one, a couple of faith choices that help us to find our way through the wilderness. And of course, we find our way by finding the way, but we need to remain connected with him as he leads us. And this passage points to two things in particular, I think, that will really help us. They're not rocket science, but how often do we need reminding of them? The first one is to choose gratitude over grumbling. To choose gratitude. Actually, as I said, we couldn't read chapter 16, but there's these five verses in in chapter 15, and then on into chapter 16, the word grumbling is mentioned eight times. They were a bunch of grumblers despite what had already, uh, God had already done for them. Blaming other people, blaming Moses, blaming God, blaming their circumstances for their discomfort. And in chapter 16, verse 8, God says something very sobering because they were grumbling about Moses and what he hadn't provided them. He says to them, you're not actually grumbling against Moses, you're grumbling against me. And when we grumble, whether we're directly grumbling to God or not, he sees it as grumbling against himself. And there's a particular uh, warning about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that I find so sobering. Again, it's another, it's Paul's kind of reflecting on the Israelites' experience in the wilderness. And he lists four sins that that meant 
that the Israelites ended up remaining in the wilderness. He, he lists idolatry. He lists sexual immorality. And then he lists grumbling. I find that really shock, shocking. That grumbling is in the same list as idolatry and sexual immorality. I'm sure you know a few grumblers. I'm sure we all do. And uh, they, can, they can be grateful for stuff, but the general tone of their chat is grumbling, how hard done by they are, or how tough life is, or what's wrong. And uh, you probably don't find yourself wanting to spend loads of time with people like that, um, because grumbling kind of distances us from them, doesn't it? And do you know what, friends? Grumbling distances us from God, too. Now, grumbling isn't the same as telling God how we feel. The Psalms are full of men and women, who, uh, men writing, who walked in the wilderness and who, who put their feelings on paper, who were honest, who were authentic with God about this is tough, this is how I feel, whatever. But they didn't necessarily uh, end, or they didn't ever end in that place. They stuck a butt after their grumbling grumbling to God, not grumbling about God, not grumbling about him or their circumstances to other people. They took their complaints to God, but they stuck a butt after it. And it depends, it all depends on where we put our butt. And some of us can, put, can say, well, I'm thankful for this, but, and then comes the grumble. And we finish with the grumble. And that's where our heart stays. That's where our mindset stays. That's where our outlook remains. And then there's others who can say, do you know what, this is really tough. I'm really struggling. I feel like God's not with me. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. You know, I, I feel forgotten, whatever. They're honest about their experience, but the but comes afterwards. And then comes the, but I'm thankful for this, or I'm going to trust God with this, or I believe this, or I'm pushing into this. And that's the difference. Gratitude draws us near to God. Grumbling pulls us away from him. Psalm 100, we enter his courts with thanksgiving. We draw near to God through thanksgiving. And we need God in the wilderness more than ever. And yet the wilderness is a place that is ripe for grumbling. Gratitude is a vaccine against it and against all kinds of other desert illnesses. What did, what did God say he was taking them into the wilderness for? To worship him. Gratitude is part of our worship when it comes from our heart. And you know what? It is most precious to God and most powerful for us when we don't feel like it. And yet we choose to express our thanks for the smallest things as well as the amazing and great things that he's done for us. An attitude of gratitude will help us find our way as we follow the way. What's your level of gratitude like right now, I wonder? And the second thing that I believe this passage points us to is a need to chew the word. Exodus 15, 26. What did we read? God says, if you will listen to me, if you will listen to me and do what I say, if you will pay attention to my commands. Well, bear in mind, they hadn't had the Ten Commandments yet. So it wasn't that they knew a list of God's commands. It was listening to his word to them on a daily basis, what he was saying, what he was pointing them to, what attitude he was wanting to draw them into. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that the uh, desert is a breeding ground for doubt, for discouragement, for despair even. 
And the enemy works so hard. We're vulnerable in the wilderness to the lies of the enemy, to the distractions of the enemy, to get us to draw back from God, to withdraw from intimacy with him, and to let go of the destiny that he has for each one of us. It was true of Jesus' experience in the wilderness, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, so it's going to be true for us. And I don't know about you, but I, just, I think the lies just get louder and louder in those kind of desert places. And uh, it's, it's back to discovering what's really in us. And uh, what's really in us will end up coming out of our mouths. And the way to get through is by choosing gratitude, but chewing on the word. The Hebrew word chew has a kind of meditative quality to it. Uh, but meditation in the, Hebrew, um, in the Hebrew description of it involves chewing, turning something over in your mouth, speaking it out. It's like what chew... Well, Cows don't speak stuff out as they're chewing the cob, but they make a kind of murmuring noise, don't they? And it goes round and round and round in their mouths, and they're getting everything, every little bit of kind of nourishment out of it. Friends, we're, me we're meant to chew the word, and we need to chew the word in the wilderness. There's no other food around. There's no other encouragement around. There's nothing else that's going to really give our souls life in the wilderness except the word of God which will sustain us. And we look for experiences and we look for our feelings to change. We look for things to lift us. But it's the word of God that will do that. Take your doubts to the word. Take your experiences to the word. Take your questions to the word and look for God's response. Because as the more we chew it and the more we allow it to ruminate in our mouths and the more we speak it out, the more it begins to soak our souls. And that's what we need. It's your water bottle the word of God is your water bottle in the, in the desert. It's your food in the desert. What is God saying to you at the moment? What's, do you know what he's saying to you? What's the word he's wanting you to listen to at the moment? And chew over and speak over your, yourself and your circumstances. What truth is he drawing your attention to? What scripture is he expecting you to lean on, to put your weight on, so that it sustains you and carries you. Is listening a priority for you? If it is, you'll know what he's saying. You'll know what he's saying and what he's asking you and expecting you to do. Friends, if you're in a wilderness experience this morning, let me remind you again, God is testing you. He's testing you. He's testing you to strengthen and grow your faith. As I said uh, earlier on, there's not much in the desert. Not much grows in the desert. You don't need me to tell you that, but hunger for God grows in the desert. A desire for deeper connection with him grows in the desert, and faith grows in the desert. So let me close with this. This is, this is uh, Moses' statement to the Israelites, again in Deuteronomy 8, his kind of summary of their experience, but this time uh, Deuteronomy 8, chapter 16. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. He gave you the bread. And Jesus says, his word is our bread. Something your ancestors had never known to humble you and test you. So that, what was the purpose of it? In the end, it might go well with you. That's God's heart for you and me this morning. The wilderness isn't the end of the story. It's never the destination. Because God's, 
wants to bring us through the wilderness into the promised land. So let me remind you and reassure you again this morning, if you're going through a wilderness experience and if you're not, take these truths on board to, to speak out over those who are. God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. God is not finished with you. He is not punishing you. He's not setting you up for defeat. He always takes care of his people in the desert. He never abandons them there. Instead, he turns it into a place for new beginnings as he prepares us for what's coming after it. So rejoice. If this is you, rejoice that God is doing a deep and transforming work in your life. Let that truth, let that reminder that he works all things together for the good, let, you, let it draw you to him so that you can trust him afresh to fulfill his purposes for you and bring you through it with him.